Hello, welcome to the Prod Pod, a podcast from Dental Products Report. I'm Kristen Holman, Associate Editor of DPR and host of the Prod Pod. Each episode, we feature leading voices in the dental industry and highlight topics of interest to dental professionals, including new products, clinical techniques, industry news and trends, as well as tips and tricks for procedures and practice management. First up, I speak to Dr. Rick Edelstein about COVID closures in Ohio and the reopening process. Dr. Edelstein is a general dentist who practices in Beechwood, Willoughby, and Medina, Ohio in the greater Cleveland area. He is a graduate of Ohio State University, attended Case Western Reserve Dental School, and went on to complete a one-year general practice residency at St. Luke's Medical Center. Throughout his career, Dr. Edelstein has been a member of the Greater Cleveland Dental Society, the Ohio Dental Association, and the American Dental Association. Dr. Edelstein, thank you so much for joining me. I assume your practice had to close due to COVID. When when was that? Our last day of seeing patients for routine non-emergency procedures was Wednesday, March 18th. Um, so that's when we were ordered by the governor to stop seeing non-emergency patients that day. While you were closed, were there state or local guidelines that you had followed, or did you mainly keep up information through like the CDC or the ADA? We did um, follow pretty much what the Ohio Dental Association through the, the governor was recommending. And as far as going in the office to see patients, it was only rec- well, it was not recommended. We were only allowed to see what were deemed as emergency procedures. It was a little bit loose in that definition, but they wanted to use our best judgment. So my definition was, you know, anyone having pain, anything that could have been potentially an infection, anything that could have led to that. So we did have numerous calls where patients were able to send us pictures or doing direct FaceTime with them and they could tell us what was going on. And then if they absolutely wanted to come in or needed to come in for emergency, then we would see them. And what kind of emergency cases were you seeing specifically? Mostly pain. Patients who had diagnosed cavities that weren't deemed urgent at the time, but then became more urgent. They were having pain. And of the two patients I saw for those procedures that were actually just fillings, they were very, very close to needing root canals. At this point, they've not, but they were very close to the nerve where, you know, waiting days later probably wouldn't have made a difference had they not been in pain, but waiting weeks or months later likely would have led to um, a root canal being necessary. And that was the issue is that we didn't want to neglect our patients and because they might've thought it was an emergency and we didn't, we still wanted to be there for them. And um, sometimes things don't appear to be a certain way, but they were. So those were two procedures I did. I saw patients with, um, with infections that we saw them and then prescribed antibiotics for after seeing them that we couldn't just see, uh, you know, via teledentistry call. And then there were two patients that had front teeth, you know, crowns or restorations on front teeth that came off. They were old crowns that had been on there for a while that they, those are probably the only two that were not true definition of emergencies, but to the patient, it was an emergency because they didn't want to be out and they were still working outside of the house where they needed those things re-cemented. Actually, one was a front tooth crown. The other one was a front tooth involved bridge. It was multiple teeth. So we had to re-cement both those. How long have you been reopened? Since Monday, May 4th. 
have you been able to return most or all of your staff to your locations? We've been able to, to accommodate all of our staff. We have unfortunately had three staff members that are not able to come back as of now because all three because of childcare issues, mm-hmm. but they've all, the, all three have informed us they will be back the first week in June once school has, has ended. So we've, we've been able to replace those with two of those three employees with dental students who have fourth year dental students that have been working for us because they're off right now until the first or second week in June, they believe. What's it been like with the the PPE issue? I mean, it's been pretty well documented that there's a shortage. What's kind of your process in finding PPE and have you run into any supply issues? Well, through our normal dental dealer, um, we have had some issues, although we did request them early enough that we were able to get gowns. And because the Ohio Dental Association, their guidelines have suggested that we can use our, our regular routine level three surgical masks with a face shield, which we had to purchase. And I'll explain that in a second. They feel the surgical level three surgical mask along with a face shield is adequate face uh, protection along with our glasses that we wear all the time. Anyways, by um, OSHA, stand, law, or OSHA standards, we have to wear eye protection. So the rest of the PPE that we've had to procure we have not been able to get through our regular supply chain, but fortunately there are other places to get it. I have a brother that owns an advertising company that's been able to get us can 95 masks, face shields. So I've been able to um, work with about 25 other dentists. That I know I've reached out to all the dentists I knew and approximately a week after we were shut down, when I knew that my brother was able to get this, I contacted the dentist I knew, and we all were able to purchase um, KN95 masks and face shields through him. So those between those um, masks, which some staff wants to wear, some are fine, or they want to wear the other surgical mask. We were able to, along with all the dentists I spoke with, pretty much been able to secure proper PPE. The difficult thing now that some offices are trying to get are disposable gowns. We have some staff wearing those, and we were able to get those through our regular supply. Um, my brother was not able to get those for us, so we were able to get those. I've had dentists ask me if I can get them for them. We're trying to still get them. The most, most of our staff is not wearing them because we're laundering our own tops and we're keeping our scrub pants in the office. We have a washer and dryer in the office, so we're able to do that. So really the only benefit of disposable gowns are if you're wearing them, changing them between each patient, which we would need approximately six per staff per day at the minimum. And we don't have that many at this point. So they're deciding to just wear those over their regular attire and then disposing them each day unless they get soiled or wet. And they're not using any aerosols at this point or hygienists I'm referring to. Has there been any concern in your practice regarding aerosols? I know that's kind of come up as practices reopen as a concern. Um, you know, as far as patients, we have some patients, not many, that will ask our staff what we're doing, and they have been trained with a good dialogue to explain exactly what we're doing. Our staff was concerned initially, and to help that, what we've done is we've installed special high-volume suction systems on top of what we're doing, which the manufacturer claims will reduce the aerosols by 95, not up to 90%. 
along with what we're normally doing with our regular high volume suction. It's called Isolite. It's this, it's a bite block with a retraction and suction and light system that will suction the aerosols in the mouth. And it's something that will stay in the mouth. We don't have to keep it outside. We can still suction outside of the mouth also. So we've done that. At this point, all, only the dentists with assistants are using aerosols. Our hygienists are not, but that could change in the next several weeks. And then we've also installed um, HEPA ear filters with UV light um, throughout the whole office. We probably have eight of those spread out through our office to help also with the ear. We're not sure how effective those can be, but anything that we can do to help. So those are the steps we've taken for the aerosols. For your patients, have you sensed any hesitation for them in coming back? Have you noticed a, a little bit of a drop-off in patients before close to now? There probably is, although we're not noticing it, and I'll tell you why. We've had initially, and I was asking our staff this the last few days, they feel that about 25% of our patients that were scheduled would like to request later dates, whether it's the middle of June or later. And they think that that's kind of tapering because, so the reason why it hasn't affected us that much because our hygienists, we generally work with three hygienists a day that'll see eight patients a day barring any cancellations or rescheduling. So they'll be given an hour per patient. So in order for us to decrease the traffic and allow our hygienists more time to to do more, you know, to do more that's involved with the extra steps. They've been given an hour and 20 minutes. So we're going from eight patients a day for three hygienists to six patients a day for three hygienists. So by cutting the um, supply by six patients a day, we've, we've increased the demand. So we still have a list of patients that want to come in that right now we don't have any openings until September, but then there's patients who, as we're confirming ahead of time, still are a little bit hesitant. But I would say it's probably between 15 and 25% of our scheduled patients now that are looking to reschedule in the future for just a later date in the future. You've touched on this with the, the aerosols. What other infection control measures have you been taking? So what we did is we installed, I think it's a quarter of an inch plexiglass type material for our patients as a barrier to our front staff. So our, the receptionists we are in the front part of the office, the hygienists and dentists and dental assistants are in the back part. So in the front, we've kind of barricaded them with minimal contact areas. So there's a small little three and a half or so inch space underneath that a patient has to slide something on underneath they can. They all have our disinfectant wipes in the front, so they've been wiping everything down regularly. We are not allowing patients in the reception room, except if they're six feet or more apart. So we normally would have maybe a dozen or so chairs. We've reduced those and taped off areas or um, blocked out the other chairs, so we can only fit now three chairs. We're informing all patients for their appointment when they're confirming is as soon as they get into the parking lot and park, they're calling us. And we're letting them know if we're ready for them. If not, we're calling them back right away. So as soon as we're ready, then we're calling them so they come in. Fortunately, in our building, because there's a Metro Urgent Care Center in a good part of our building, they their staff are actually screening our patients. We're also screening our patients at a time, asking them if they've been out of the state, um, if they have a temperature, if they've been in contact with anyone. There's about five or six questions we ask them. 
And then when they come in, we're on the fourth floor, so when they come into the lobby area, there are two Metro Health staff screening all patients and taking their temperatures and asking them questions. So once they get up, we'll, we'll also confirm if there's been any change since we last confirmed their appointment when they get to the parking lot. And assuming there isn't, they get screened again. They come up the elevator. Our back staff will greet them right at the door, bring them in. As soon as they sit down, they'll rinse for 30 seconds with a hydrogen peroxide-based rinse, which has been shown to help fight the virus, COVID-19 virus in the mouth. They'll rinse with that before all procedures. And besides everything being completely disinfected, which we've done routinely, we assume every patient has either HIV or hepatitis B, so we have to protect all of our surfaces for that. So they are taking extra steps. They're, they're putting plastic on every possible aspect that can be covered in plastic. Our staff are wearing, they're coming into the office in street clothes, leaving in street clothes, I'm not leaving in shoes that they're wearing for the office, so they're keeping those in their lockers. So we're trying to prevent any spread from home for the staff. Everything is laundered as far as the pants and the top. And we, of course, are wearing our masks, face shields. Our hygienists are all wearing, and our assistants are wearing head covers by choice. They, we do not have to. And then we're disinfecting all of our face shields between each patient and changing all of our PPE after each procedure. Great. And then the ear filters also. And there been any other challenges that you've faced as you reopen? The biggest challenge is just constantly reminding ourselves of the differences that were so that were so new that we weren't doing before. Like that we're we're wearing different jackets, like lab jackets when we're seeing non-aerosol patients versus when we're seeing patients where there's aerosol. So it's leaving the laboratory, taking that off routinely, putting on another one. It's really reassuring the patients and the staff of what we're doing and we're trying to keep them as safe as possible. Other than that, our day-to-day routine is not that much different because of how we've always been doing things. Ever since I've been a dentist, we've always had to wear had, um, eye protection, you know, face masks and gloves and, you know, disinfecting all surfaces and autoclaving everything. So it really hasn't been that different from for us. It's more just reassuring the patients and the staff. It's been suggested that there could be a second wave of the coronavirus later this year. States have kind of started opening up. From your perspective, do you think the industry is prepared to handle a second wave? How can they better prepare now for that? Well, speaking for the dental industry, in my limited sample size of the 20 to 30 dentists that I've talked to since this pandemic started, I feel from a dental standpoint, we will be prepared because everything that we're doing now, I think we all ordered much more PPE than we actually might need. So it's just a matter of getting things we may not have, that we will need then, like more disposable gowns, which I believe by the second wave, if that happens, we'll be better prepared for that, which still aren't completely necessary. But I do believe from a dental standpoint, we will be prepared. I think at least in Ohio, our governor has taken you know great strides in keeping everyone safe and the Ohio Dental Association has fallen under his guideline also. And I think they've given us great guidance. So I do believe from that standpoint, which is definitely different than the CDC and OSHA standpoint at this moment, but that could change. I think right now we will be prepared, I believe. I don't know if our country and other industries will be as prepared, but I do believe from a a dental standpoint, we will be prepared. Great. Well, thank you again so much for speaking to me. I really appreciate it.
My second guest is Lisa Newberger, a regular contributor to Dental Products Report. In 2010, she created Discuss Directives, a company that provides continuing education and wellness programs. Thanks for joining me, Lisa. Practices that have reopened have seen kind of a drop off in the number of appointments that they've been booking. From the patient perspective, is it safe to go back to the dentist and how worried should patients be making those appointments? That's a tough question. <laughs> I can speak for myself, Lisa Neuberger in Solon, sure. Ohio, that um, I don't know if you can see, I actually have an appliance in my mouth right now. Just to give you a little bit of background on my history and where my thinking is with all this, is that I actually have three medical doctors in my immediate family. So I was raised a certain way uh, where we trust and respect healthcare and science as the be all and end all. I think with going back and only speaking for myself because I can't speak for others, this is really frightening. So my background is that I do have like a $60,000 mouth that if I could have invested in a car or jewelry so my children couldn't hear it, they would get something out of this upon my death. But meanwhile, I get good teeth and I chew. So that there's real value to that. But the thing is, is that even my issues were TMJ and you know all the things that go with adult braces, replacing crowns, all of that from grinding, that as you get older, then I started seeing some of the teeth moving. So I requested an appliance. So you get an appliance and then COVID-19 happens and you're like, well, you're shifting my teeth. And what if they shift too much? <laughs> um, and so that's where you reach out to the dentist and they're like, don't worry, it can't go beyond a certain point. But so I need to get in. I have an appointment tomorrow in fact, and there's that nervousness about what's the safety issue. You know, in writing for publications, dentists that I interviewed had given their PPE for the healthcare folks and just the concern of, are they going to have enough for themselves? You know, you read more now about aerosolized and when cleaning and things are out in the air. What is the risk for me as a patient coming in for like the person who they may have seen before me, who even with that one, one dental professional to one person coming in from the parking lot as your new waiting room, if it's in the air and I'm lying here with my mouth open, the risk to me, but it is worrisome. And from your perspective, especially you kind of have a unique perspective having you talk to dentists all the time for interviewing, what have they been doing to kind of bring patients back into their practice to kind of mitigate that drop off? I think that they've been following what the recommendations and the guidelines were and, you know, in how they're changing their process. I'll be honest, how is this all going to play out financially in the end? Fine. You're going to have fewer of us in the office, which means you'll have fewer staff in the office. And I know one person was, I think, extending their hours as a way to, if we could work nine to nine, maybe we can make up by having X number of patients versus just like a nine to five model. But in the end, how is this going to work out for them financially? And then me as the patient, are my prices going to go up because it's going to cost more? I did see my own personal dentist, there's going to be an $8 fee for PPE. And I don't know if that's per visit. Is it a one-time deal? And at first I'm like, whatever they need. And then you're like, well, are there going to be other fees? I've heard that there's, even with some of these vacuums or trying to improve the air quality, these are major investments that some of the practices are doing. 
So it, it's twofold. But the other side is there was an article I had written about what was going on when this first started and the whole dental school piece. And so, you know, as I was talking with one of these dentists about who, t who teaches down at Case Western's dental school, it kind of opened my eyes of what is going to happen in this case with dental students who everything stopped. The PPE was given to the hospitals. Now, or when they're able to go back into clinics, if they can, what's going to happen like with student loans? What's going to happen? I, I mean, this is a very expensive profession to get trained and excel in. But what's going to happen? Is it going to deter? Are we going to have a shortage of dentists? I had heard some dentists were passing on the cost of PPE to their patients, but whether that's, especially with the increase in PPE that we'll probably be seeing in the practice, will that be a permanent change or maybe just temporary during this pandemic? It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I give the healthcare professionals such respect. I mean, they are literally going into the mouth of the, the, the lion here. And I, not to take away from any of our doctors and nurses and the regular healthcare, but with the dental, this is a mouth open where we've been told put masks on or social distance. And now you have people who are actually going to be working on your mouth. Even for me to come in and things be aerosolized, but I leave. And they're going to be in there, you know, for a full work day and just, you know, what the risk for their health. They're one of the most at risk. I think that an article came out when this all started that dentists and hygienists were some of the most at risk professions for contracting COVID. I think there's a lot of fear for them coming back in as far as it's different than how we were all trained. And I do understand from my own background as a social worker in hospitals and nursing home, you know, OSHA, and we've been taught to be, you know, be very aware and how to protect from infectious disease and whatnot, but we've never seen anything like this. What other changes might patients expect in going back to their dentist? My husband brought this up this morning and he said, wouldn't people start questioning whether or not they should go and get seen by the dentist and stretching it out more and not having as good dental care? So for example, for me, I got, let's just share with the world here. You know, I go to a periodontist for gum disease and then I go for my dentist. So that's three visits total a year. Mm -hmm. I take turns in between. So you start wondering, okay, well, you know, we missed an appointment. Are we going to wait six months? Are we going to try to get in as soon as we can? Or let's see what happens. But as more time passes in your mind, you're like, do I really need this? Do I really need to go three times a year? I mean, that's an extra $100, $150 that, you know, I don't have to spend. And so I guess my question is, will patients start going less to the dentist, depending on what happens and how long we're in this situation? And it's scary because there's such need for good dental health so that it's good health. Would you have any tips or suggestions for dental care for patients during the pandemic? You can't even call the new normal because the new normal, we can kind of project what's going to be happening. We have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> but we're all in that circumstance. So mm -hmm. there's comfort and misery and numbers or comfort that none of us know what's happening. I found that it was really useful, even in preparing for you and I talking, to go and Google and look up what exactly are the dental guidelines that the dental offices will be doing now. And I thought that was really useful. One of the things my dentist did was sent out 
an email letting us know what to expect. Basically, no more waiting room. Don't bring your spouse or a child with you unless they're the person being seen. And okay, so now I'm starting to realize we're going to be in our cars a lot more <laughs> in many aspects, <laughs> but that's the new waiting room. And okay, that makes sense. No more of that favorite uh, Keurig coffee that I usually go to my dentist for that I normally don't drink coffee, but I can live without, you know, that particular perk. Even just from the standpoint of, I, I guess some practices are using plexiglass, like the grocery stores are trying to make those open areas not so open. There's a lot of the practices I've been in, it's just chair, chair, you know, none of the walls are completely closing off and you can see what goes on to a certain degree in the next chair. So I think a lot of it is just trying to find out more information because information can help you help lessen the anxiety. And also I think what matters is you have to trust your dental team and your dental professionals. Mm -hmm. And if you think for one second that they're not going to be following to protect me or protect their staff, then that may not be the right dentist to be going to. You know, I, I understand, and, and as I was reading up, there's a lot of concern about the PPE, that here in Cleveland, the dentists I've talked with, they were requested one dentist twice, or by two different police departments, was contacted and asked to send all of his stuff to the hospitals here. And so he literally sent everything except for like one or two of the, the masks and a box of gloves, and then prayed that shipments will come in. And then all of a sudden now, the doors are opening and you kind of are wondering, and I think the staff are wondering, is there enough PPE? And I'm wondering, they're not gonna reuse stuff like you hear some of the hospitals who were in serious trouble were doing. So I think trust and having those conversations and calling in and any questions to have, these are the people who can tell you what's going on in that office. And that's an instance where communication between the practice and their patients as they schedule will be pretty important as well. But just like a regular doctor's appointment, like for my parents who are elderly, write down the questions, you know, that if I'm going to call that dentist's office, if I have my list of questions, you know, you get nervous, you get sidetracked, then you don't get all your questions answered. And at least if you've written down, you're going to be able to cover and not get off the phone and go, oh, I forgot to ask. What about this? As far as the PPE goes, it'll be an interesting balance, I'm sure, for practices who need to open up to make up for basically two months of lost revenue, how do they kind of strike that balance between maybe not having enough PPE or enough inventory versus needing revenue? I think there's a lot of pressure on dental practices. And, you know, you, you see these corporate dental practices and how they are run versus the smaller practitioners. I wonder on some of these folks who are, let's say, 60, if they end up deciding to close their practices or leave versus some of the changes and what's going on. That will be an interesting trend to look at. And in certain areas, at least from my readers in, in the country, that dentist is the only dentist in that town. I think even dentistry is changing. You know, teledentistry. Before this hunkering down and being at home, we didn't even really have telemedicine really working. And then when I first heard about teledentistry, I'm like, how exactly are they going to do that? I mean, a rash, you can hold up to the camera and you can see. <laughs> Uh, my mouth, yeah, a little. It'll be interesting to see what happens now because so much on such a big level is going to happen. And so I think people have to be open to change. With change, there could be improvement. There could be more efficiency. There could be much more 
ability to catch problems earlier on. Maybe I can get into my specialist office quicker than you know just the regular trying to get in because of technology. So I think a big part now is how open-minded we are in what's happening and try it, you know, try, try telemedicine or teledentistry or try calling your dentist and talking with them ahead of time or the staff as to what's going to happen. Because you're right, I think it's about communication. And since everyone's in the same boat, there's only one way to go. Either you get stuck or you go forward. Thank you to both of my guests today, and thank you for listening to the Prod Pod brought to you by Dental Products Report. We hope you'll rate and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please leave us some feedback and let us know what topics you'd like to hear more about. This podcast is produced by the team at MJH Life Sciences, and our theme music is by Hook Sounds Music. Stay connected with Dental Products Report at dentalproductsreport.com. Subscribe to our e-newsletter and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon.